So I want to get right into it. Um, my interview this week is with DJ Salisbury, who um, directed one of my first shows out of college. He directed Les Mis that I was in at Orlando Shakespeare Theater, and he directs all over the country and is a big deal. Um, Will Rogers Follies, um, Grease, performer, and then um, he directs everywhere and anywhere. And um, I was very happy he took the time out of his busy schedule. He bought me a coffee and chatted my ear off. So shout out to him. I wanted to, before we get into the interview, I wanted to let you into a little bit of the process of what it's like to prepare for these interviews. I secured the interview with DJ um, very shortly before. I was actually on my way to um, wait tables at my restaurant. Um, And so I was like, oh, I don't have time to come up with questions. My producing partner, Abby Light, also my fiance, um, I put her in charge of coming up with a couple questions to ask DJ. And um, a lot of them made it into the interview, but unfortunately, she had five or six questions on her list that I just did not get the chance to speak to him about. Just time, and I didn't want to go so raw, you know, something... um, I didn't want to touch any nerves with DJ, um, but I wanted to let you all in after the fact into um, some of the questions she came up with. I mean, some of the questions are things like, um, number two, what types of directing methods did your mentors give to you? Like, really, like, oh, that would be good to know as an up-and-coming director. But um, the number one question on this piece of paper is, why didn't you cast Michael as Jean Valjean in Les Mis? And really, I just want to throw that question to DJ. Other than my age, the fact you didn't know me, and that I can't sing that role, why didn't you cast me, DJ? I really hurt my feelings. Um, what else is on here? Did you, <laughs> did you ever go see the manatees while you were in Orlando? Did you? If you haven't, anyone listening, the manatees are awesome. I forget where Abby and I went, Clear River or something like that. But the manatees are super cute and um, sea cows, you know, hit them up. Um, What is something in your career that you are proudest of, parentheses, besides the orphanage, which I believe is a shout out to Hamilton, just topical references. That's another question on this list. Uh, Oh. Can you get Michael a permanent actor residency at Orlando Shakespeare and Abby a full-time job at Animal Kingdom? Just shamelessly asking for jobs. <laughs> and, the, oh, two more questions. Do you think Toos, which is the name we call our French Bulldog, is the cutest thing ever to be born? <laughs> really should have gotten his opinion on that. And the, oh, the last question, number 14 on this list, is... <laughs> Thoughts on the name Doily. <laughs> um, if we were to name our son Doily, as in like a lace Doily, uh, what are your thoughts? Um, Abby and I have been discussing the name Doily at length. We think it's a, a solid name. Uh, really fits into a lot. Uh, <laughs> for instance, stepping up to the plate, it's Doily. Uh, we're unfortunately um, in heart breakingly so not expecting a child at the moment but we just want to be prepared and we think doily might be the way to go but yeah um i just wanted to let you all in on a little bit of the creative process behind um what goes into these interviews and uh really showcase the professionalism of my producing partner uh if you stuck around through that which i'd be surprised if you did because that was horrendous sit back and enjoy this interview with dj and um in the description of this episode you can find links to all of our information and um, all of dj's information hit me up at my email if you have any questions or um something you want to talk to me about or just want to say hi i'm really lonely so thanks Good afternoon, morning, or evening, everybody. It's me, Michael Sheehy, again. And I'm here with my good friend, DJ Salisbury. And we are in one of the most beautiful buildings in Manhattan. 
on the west side, overlooking the beautiful Hudson. DJ, how are you today? I'm so good, Michael. Yes, yes, thank you for taking the time to be with me. Glad um, to Of course, we're sipping our Starbucks. Yeah! He's got his egg whites. Mmm, delicious. It's a beautiful Sunday. DJ is a director, he's a choreographer, he's a writer, he does everything. And DJ... I wanted to talk to you because I think your story is really cool. I feel like there's a lot to be learned from it. And you're from Kentucky. I'm mm-hmm. from Kentucky. Yeah. Um, and we're both here in New York City, you know? Yeah. And so, DJ, where talk, talk to me about talk to me about your life growing up in Kentucky. Oh, my. Well, uh, I grew up in eastern Kentucky, a very small town, 2,000 people. Interesting that... Uh, low those many years ago, the population sign said 2,000 as you drove in and out on the one highway. And it still says 2,000. <laughs> wow. People do not move there. Oh, good <laughs> Most people move out at some point. Uh, so, but it's, you know, not an unpleasant little town. It's just uh, growing up there, um, it was rural. My family worked in the uh, gasoline industry. Interesting. Okay. My father had a bulk plant where he would take gas from the large tanks to gas stations around the county. Oh, that okay. That was it. Yeah, strange. You would fill up a truck with gas. He was like to the gas, gas middleman, almost. He was the gas middleman. So he worked for wow. Ashland Oil Corporation. And okay. my town was about 30 minutes from Ashland, Kentucky. Uh, so that's what he did. And it was a good living. We were, as I mentioned to you earlier, he, we were in the upper middle class because yeah. rural Kentucky, there was, there was not a lot else going on there in terms of industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just recently learned there, there had been a carpet mill, and when that closed while I was a, a kid, it got even more depressed. So now it's, I don't know how people make their living there, except working at Walmart. Yeah. I, it's interesting. Well, anyway, so um, I was that, uh, uh, I, th- I said to you before, he's a shy kid, but still always very interested in, in music and theater and art. Um, and grew up with a mother who was very supportive. My father was not distant, but he had some issues on his own that had him be a little less uh, present in my life. Okay. Uh, a lovely man, but just a little less present, but a very intellectual man. So mom was very supportive. And, you know, I. She nurtured. She was this. very nurturing, yeah. And uh, she herself was a singer. She had studied uh, opera when she was in okay. college. But then, so studied professionally. Yeah, she studied music, yeah. But then marriage, blah, blah, blah. Life happens. Life happens. Yep. Uh, and so uh, it was great to have her as a support. Um, so there I took a little dance when I was a kid kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that school, a satellite school from Ashland, Kentucky, okay. went away. Um, which was disappointing for me because I enjoyed the dance classes. Yeah. But it was one day a week and then it went away. In high school, my friend Lurch, yeah, that's what we called him because he was 6'5", and uh, Lurch, really nice man, he was playing basketball. Okay. And the coach said, you need help with uh, uh, your ability to be less clumsy. Take ballet. So the only ballet school was like 35 miles away, and uh, he was afraid to go alone, so he asked me to go. So I went. We went one day a week. Uh, I don't remember. I don't think it was more than a month of classes that he went. <laughs> That's funny. He was like, this is not for me. It is not for him. And so he, he stopped and I continued. And, you know, being a boy in a small community where there you have a ballet school, there weren't many of us. There was actually well, yeah. one other African-American man, in just me and him. We wow. were it. And he yeah. was an adult. He was in his mid-20s, I think. But that was his... Yeah. Uh, Fitness. He yeah. would do ballet. Young boys in ballet. Oh, and then Eastern Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's like a perfect storm of... Oh, yeah, I, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But I did it anyway, and I uh, it was great. I still yet had always thought I would be an animal doctor. That's what I said for my young really? childhood. Yeah, I was going to be a veterinarian. And then uh, we had, believe it or not, this sounds crazy, but over the course of my childhood, we had five monkeys as pets. Monkeys? Yep. Yeah, monkeys. In how did Eastern you... Kentucky. Oh, I... How, how do you find monkeys? Well, Where are they from? we would vacation in the summers. My grandparents had moved when they retired to New Smyrna Beach in Florida. Okay. And interestingly, if you drive down to Florida, or if you had driven to Florida in that era, in this late 60s, early 70s, they, there would be like pet stores on the side of the road that would sell monkeys. Really? Isn't that amazing? That's insane. And alligators. 
baby alligators. Oh my god, that's my nightmare. But it was kind of crazy. But they were on the side of the road. But don't because don't alligators like they they grow to full size alligators? Yeah, they do. Theory, right? Sure. And that you know they. What do you? Oh my! Why would you buy that? um, How do you exotic pets? I guess. Yeah. So I just I feel like once it grows, you're like stuck with a full size alligator. Yeah. Well, I I dare say. I, my guess is few people let them grow too full. <laughs> I guess that would make sense. <laughs> hey, maybe yeah. it's an alligator stew. Yeah, that, that, oh, yeah, I forgot that. I guess or they didn't some treat them right. I mean, it was the wrong idea. Released them. Yeah. Released or just uh, not cared for, and the, the creature would die because, oh, you know, who knows how to take care of an alligator? And, ex- exactly. People bought them for the exotic moment. Oh, exactly. And, but my dad was, like I said, an intellectual, and I think he had a great curiosity about uh, wildlife and. Um, we loved our monkeys. So, all to say, I thought I was going to be a primate behaviorist. That was the specialty that I was looking into because in that era there were a lot of PBS specials about chimps and sign language. And uh, uh, I was fascinated about the idea of how close they are to uh, human intelligence. Yeah. Uh, in fact, just tidbit of trivia. Uh, chimp uh, has approximately the same intellectual capacity as a six-year-old child. Six? Which is pretty. Yeah. Think about it. That's. Yeah. That's first grade. That's not wow. stupid. No, it's that's not very stupid at crafty. all. They're very manipulative. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> they god. They know how yeah. to get what they want. I mean, you see those. I mean, God, you see those documentaries where they're like, teach, um, God, they're, they understand colors. They understand yeah. I mean, sign language. Yeah. They yeah. set instruction. Exactly. Set structure. structure. They thought that they were not complex emotions. Complex emotions. They thought they were not capable. That man and beast were separated by language uh, and the ability to. Uh, learn grammar well now we know that's not true uh animals and particularly higher primates grammar grammar yeah they can put sentence structure they know how to put a put, sentence yeah that blows my isn't mind isn't that amazing? It's amazing so i was fascinated by all that and um that's what i went to college for so back to high school one day a week for my junior year in high school and my senior year in high school one day a week i would take dance class um then uh, of course doing the nutcracker because the only boy of course they needed a boy to be yeah. a nutcracker uh then I went to college, and my freshman year was at Washington University in St. Louis. Okay. And there, I took acting and uh, ballet and modern as those were my electives. Electives, but you are at this point you were studying like pre-med. pre yeah pre med yeah. pre med. And let me tell you, Washington University in St. Louis. That's a good school. It's a good school. It's a high, very tough school. Intentionally yeah. tough pre med program. I got my first C. Uh, <laughs> I was so I upset. I would have just been oh, like, no, I can't do this. <laughs> my first C in organic chemistry because. That stuff is hard. Mm-hmm. Hard. Well, anyway, um, it wasn't the C that changed my mind, but I did have my acting teacher. Uh, it was my acting teacher, Hollis Houston. Hi, Hollis, if you're listening. Uh, he was the one that said to me, you should think about this as a career possibility. Yeah, it was yeah. really lovely. And so That's he encouraged. and my dance teachers uh, were encouraging, and they went, this was in the year of Re- uh, the era of Reaganomics, so all the Pell Grants and other... Mm-hmm. Uh, things that were helpful in a private school went away. Gotcha. So I became the poor kid uh, yeah. in a certain sense. I wasn't able to afford it without that additional mm-hmm. help. And there were no possibilities for switching to the theater program at that school. Yeah. So <clears throat> left the school. Um, that summer I did a, a scholarship in New York City with the ballet a famous ballet school called Harkness House. Okay. And um, Rebecca Harkness was a great... Uh, uh, benefactor to all ballet. Very, very wealthy woman, and her money went to ballet. So her mansion on the Upper East Side was transformed into a dance studio. Wow. Yeah. Her ashes were in the half-spiral staircase in an alcove in a gold, literally gold, I don't know if it's gold-plated, not solid gold, but gold-plated, uh, butterfly-encrusted urn. And what the the uh, urn would swivel on a, on a Turntable? Yeah, it would rotate and the butterfly wings would open and close. That's that's how I want that's how I want to go out. It was designed as I understand it, if I'm not mistaking my history, it was designed by Salvador Dali. This is how rich this woman was. (laughs) Can you imagine? I just can't imagine I'll have my ashes in an urn by Dali. I would just feel so like I I wish I was that confident, you know, to be like this is what needs to happen to me. Is this Mm -hmm. is how I need to be displayed. Isn't that amazing? God, can you imagine just being that confident? Oh yeah. Like all the power to you, you know? And how giving, how very generous she is. Of of course, yeah. yeah. So the scholarship was great. They asked me to stay, I said no, because I learned ballet as a uh, as my young, naive, uh, delicate, I will say the word delicate self, uh, it seemed harsh. 
That's the word that really occurs to me. Yeah. Harsh. And uh, the teacher that I had, I didn't jibe with his style. He was essentially mean. Mm. You know, he was more of a stick than a carrot kind of guy. Yeah. And I didn't enjoy that. So I thought, you know what? I sing and I think I can act. So let me just not do ballet, continue down this path. Yeah. Uh, they offered me a full scholarship for the year, and I said, thanks, but yeah. I'm going to go back to college <clears throat> um, and do musical theater. I ended up at Western Kentucky University and got my BFA there. Go Hilltoppers. Go Hilltoppers. Yeah, big red. Big red. And, uh, you know, it's actually become, in Kentucky, it's it's the school to go to, I think, now yeah. for musical that theater. And, I, that, and I would say northern, Western and Northern yes, are both those are the, the two. two big ones. And in that era, Northern was more... Um, uh, known for straight theater, not musical theater. Gotcha. And Western had more dance and so. Gotcha. And Northern, you have to deal with the fact that the school is made entirely out of cement. Ooh. Have you ever been to Northern? No, I don't think I have. Oh, it's, um, not pretty. I mean, I, I have no tie to Northern, so hopefully I don't offend them, but the, um, it's designed, it looks like a prison. Ooh, the whole yeah. school looks like a prison. It's just uh, all cement. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. Oh well. Sorry, but oh, Western, you have Western. the beautiful hills. That and, beautiful, and all those stairs. Let me yeah, just tell say you. That, the whole school, I feel like the whole school is uphill, Upstairs, no matter where you're going. Downstairs, up, yep. down, up, down, class to class, up, down, oh, up, down. Oh, my God. Had nice glutes. In there. Yeah, I bet. God. But um, So that's where I got my BFA. While I was there, now, you know, I will just be honest and say, as a young person, I was kicking and screaming. Having I did one semester, skip this part, at Purchase, which similarly was all built at one time. Okay. But Purchase, I transferred as a liberal arts major and clept, is that still a word people use? Clept in, uh, where it means you take a test to, to place you. If, oh. had, if you've come from another school, that you give you tests to see where you to place. To see, like, okay, gotcha. So I clept in to be able to take dance classes with the dance majors. So nice. we had great teachers from yeah. New York modern companies primarily great teachers and they have a, a building called the dance building i think it was studios a through n that many sprung floor dance studios with yeah. baby grand pianos and all of them uh, i mean it was crazy that's, yeah that's nice but they built the whole school at one time through i think rockefeller money actually so it similarly was not Aesthetic, charming, aesthetically but smart yeah it's a very smart design well anyway uh so that semester at purchase i did pippin in the one all-school show. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I was not a dance major. I was not allowed to take acting classes with the acting conservatory because it was that conservatory structure. Yeah. So they have the acting company. In fact, oddly, I thought, in that era, I don't know if it's changed, there was the freshman acting company, the sophomore acting company, the junior, and the senior. So... Even Unless those people did not interact. Interact. They did it was shows. Like very isolated yes. training. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a conservatory. Yeah, that's system. like yeah, that's a. Uh, I think a very yeah a very intense conservatory. Yeah, system. where you work only with that small group of people, yeah. and I see the value in that, but I also see the what you the miss limitation things. in yeah, that. You miss, yeah. a, you miss a certain thing. Well, anyway, yeah. But there was one all school production that was Pippin, and I was the tall, the six-foot-three blonde from Kentucky playing leading player. Yes, That's it can happen. hilarious. Yeah, hilarious. 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 I love it. But, you know, it was You would have been a great leading player. Well, you know? they made me sort of Ziggy Stardust. I buy it. Yeah. I like that. That works. That yeah, works. that works. Yeah. I Lots see it. Lots of glitter and, and yeah. purple everything. So. I see it. <laughs> I can still see it. <laughs> So uh, that's where we're like, oh yeah, it really confirmed musical theater is where I belong. Yeah. This, is, this is for me. You, that was the show that kind of... It cemented... Validated your feelings yeah, and we're yeah. like, I, I fit in this. Yeah. And so then going to, to Western, uh, it did occur to me, they have one dance studio. And it occurred to me like, wow, this is a shift. I have to wrap my mind around yeah. the idea that there's one dance studio and one dance teacher. And she was great. Now, I will tell you, she built a program that, you know, the legacy lives on. Mm -hmm. And good for her, Beverly uh, Leonard in that era, and she's now Beverly Vinker. Hi, Beverly. Fantastic. And really left, uh, she trained so many people that have had careers. It's, yeah. Yeah, she really has. I know so many talented people yeah. that have gone through yeah. Western. So, it's so, good. so kudos to her for building a program by herself yeah. in dance and musical theater dance. So, um, but it was still me, the young uh, uh, snot-nosed kid. I was like, oh, I want more teachers. No, yeah, where's, all where's that. my baby grand pianos Where's baby grand studio, pianos? You know? All that. But, you know, you keep on keeping on. And I was in the dance company that was associated with the, the program. And I did musicals there. What The value that you don't know until you know was that I pitched in my junior year 
because uh, I came there as a second semester sophomore, I pitched my junior year the possibility of, of getting credit for writing a musical. Mm. So another student and I, Jerry Williams and I, uh, said, let's write a musical together. So we wrote a musical, and we got college credit for it wow. as an independent study kind of yeah. thing. And then, to our surprise, the uh, powers that be in the theater department opted to produce it the next year. So in my senior year, I directed my own work of a full-scale musical on the main stage. On the main stage? stage. It it wasn't like a studio production. It was one in their season. That's incredible. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. And it was then somewhere soon thereafter, or even maybe during, I'm not sure, it's hard to know going back so many years, I realized, oh, this is why I'm here. Because I'm not sure that this opportunity would have come up at a larger uh, in a larger mm-hmm. program. Does that make sense? Yeah. One I yeah, so I feel like, that 100%. This is why I'm here because here I've had the freedom to actually find uh, my voice as a writer too. Yeah. Uh, so I started directing and choreographing for the dance company, um, you know, not exclusively, but we all had the opportunity to do a number or two mm-hmm. in the the concerts for that dance company as, attached to the school. Um, and then Right out of school, I got uh, hired by Disney World to be a singer-dancer at Epcot Center. Yeah, and that was your first, like, professional yeah, job outside yeah. of... 13-month contract. I mean, woo! Yeah, living that's the pretty dr- great. Yeah, living the dream. Pretty great, getting money. I mean, you're young. Yeah, <laughs> yeah being, being paid being every paid, week. Being paid to perform. Fantastic. Living right? in, like, the sun. Yeah, it was it was a great experience. It's, I, I can't recommend uh, a better way for a person coming out of college to get so comfortable being on stage than... A good theme park like Disney, yeah. like Opryland in its day, and the, so on. So. Exactly. I, I mean, we were talking before we started recording, and I was talking about my time on a cruise ship, mm. and I, I feel like it, it's relatively similar in that I've never felt more. Um, and I mean, I've been performing for a while, yeah. But I've I've never felt more comfortable. Yes. You learn how to. Without taking, I mean, without taking the creativity out of it, obviously, and the finding new things every night, but you learn how to make it a job a little bit, and you mm-hmm. learn how to. Um, That's well put. Actually. Yeah, you learn how you like you learn how to just do the work mm-hmm. consistently, mm-hmm. and it it it's a it's a different skill set than I would say academic theater, yes. especially in college, mm. where you you work so hard and you have like seven performances. Right. I mean, when you're doing nine shows a, a week and it's like the same show and i mean you you learn how to oh my yes pump out that consistent thing yeah. and you learn how oh to get yes. you learn how to get through that it's a real it's a, a different skill set yeah it's a, a it's a muscle building. yeah and you you learn it it can't be taught until you do it and right. i i think it's a great like you said first job oh, and perfect i think it's a necessary job that any performer is something similar to that should have. Yeah, yes, because you will grow in a way that may not be possible through other venues. Or exactly, other and 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 I think even so, even especially with um, theme park shows or cruise ship shows, shows that are um, more performance driven as opposed yes. to story driven, mm-hmm. you really build um, just the the base of the foundation of what you're doing yeah. just the yeah. physical performing yeah. of it and uh, you know there, there becomes a point when stage fright just doesn't enter the picture yeah. at all exactly and when you're doing a show it's so funny when you're doing a long run like that and something goes wrong you 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 learn that something going wrong doesn't kill you it's anymore it's live theater baby exactly yeah god I, I mean there there was a show where I miss I was singing we did an Ike and Tina Turner show and the show opened well, because, up. because, look at you. Of course. Yeah. When you think Ike and Tina Turner, you <laughs> think, think Michael Sheehy. <laughs> and um, the show started with me in a cage oh. with a dramatic, with like a curtain, and I would rip open the curtain, and then I would sing Proud Mary. What? I I'm ho- stunned. I hope and I video, love it. I hope I, video I footage of this. I, I hope it doesn't exist. <sighs> but I, I rip open the curtain, and the music starts playing, and I'm a solid two measures behind the music. Uh, I come in and I, it's left a good job in the city yeah. and I am a solid two measures behind Whoa. for the entire first verse. Oh my God. Because I can't hear it. My yeah. in-ear is not working. Oh dear. And I got through it and it ended and you just realize you're like, I, I have to do this, I have to do this show 500 more times. 
and just you let you learn yeah, how to let it roll off. Let it roll off. Exactly, and it, you laugh about it, and yes. it's it's not funny while it's happening. <laughs> yeah, but uncomfortable. A, yeah, after yeah. it happens, you can laugh about right. it. But live theater. Yeah, and, live and theater. And you get comfortable with the idea that anything can happen, and you'll be okay, and you'll make it work anyway. Exactly. Yeah, it's really great. Exactly, and I think what we do is important, and it's. Um, it's necessary in life, but it's that. also we're not. It's not brain surgery, it's and no one, no, yeah, no one's dying because no. I was two measures behind in Proud Mary. That's you right. know, right? I hope there's video. Oh my God! I hope. I hope not. I will never work again. <laughs> it's just me looking so afraid for four minutes. Um, so you, you you're working so, in Orlando, yes? I, yes. So I worked in Orlando, and uh, after having discovered my. Um, uh, love of the process of creating musical theater I was like I kind of began to shift my mindset I was performing but I wanted to continue working as a creative force outside off the stage gotcha so um, after my 13 month contract at Disney I stayed on mm-hmm. uh, to sub into that show and there were there was another show where I was uh, the swing for a show called the Diamond Horseshoe Jamboree okay. in Magic Kingdom there was yes there was a show called the Melvin the Moose Breakfast Show. I'm not kidding. Oh my God, I wish it. At Pioneer Hall. It didn't last very long. Um, I love Pioneer Hall. Pioneer. How fun. Here's a fun thing. I was the sub there as well. Yeah. So there were only two live actors, and then everybody else was costume characters. Chip and Dale, Melvin the Moose, who was a moose on the wall, like a moose head. Talking. Oh, it, it yeah. was like a yeah. decapitated moose head on yeah. the wall. But he would talk, you know. Okay, fun. The breakfast show. Yeah. So there was Alabama and Cindy Lou. And I was at Alabama, the sub for the two men that alternated five days and two days, I think is how it worked. Okay, gotcha. Both of them are in Rockapella. Isn't that fun? That's fun to them. That's fun, yeah. yeah. They've been with Rockapella for over a decade. Really? Yeah, they're fantastic singers. Wow, yeah. That was the sub. Well, cool. Rubbing elbows with the famous, right? With the Rockapella crew. With the Rockapella, they're fantastic singers. Um, So, uh, those are the shows I did at Disney World. But I was pretty clear I wasn't going to take another long... I didn't want to take another long contract there. And that uh, I knew it was a stepping stone toward moving forward as a performer Mm -hmm. in musical theater. Um, So I had taken occasionally taken some dance classes at Southern Ballet Theater, which was the uh, ballet company of Orlando. And uh, because I had a wholly different experience with those teachers than what I had had at Harkness House... No shade on Harkness House itself, but the teacher there compared to the teachers at Orlando in Orlando, um, Russell Salzbach was my ballet master. He was that coach that was what I responded to. Mm-hmm. He would applaud for your Ugh. your successes. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I just I have such a a warm warm spot in my heart for him and how he taught. Yeah, uh, a challenging skill. Yeah. Art and skill. Yeah. Um, so he was great, and uh, so that everybody just yeah everybody yeah. just needs that one person yeah. you know and to, to and to find that person with whom you jibe as a as a student and it's not the same for everybody I get mm-hmm. that some people respond to a, a bully yeah I do not yeah. I really do not and Russell was the coach I needed so uh, I did that ballet company for a year okay and I learned there again mm, ballet hurts a lot. It's yeah. six days of class a week and rehearsal all day, and it was it was physically it's painful. Yeah, um, you know more power to all that do. But I was like, I think I want to go back to really great. This is great training, but musical theater is my life. This is where I'm going to go. Musical theater. Uh, while I was there, again, I was afforded the opportunity by the the artistic director to choreograph. So they had me choreograph things for the ballet company. Wow. Yeah, I got to take on the Bob Carr stage, took my bow. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. Wear my tuxedo. Fancy. You take a bow with your with the new piece when it debuts. Isn't that funny? It's so ballet. That, well, indeed, that's very exciting. World. Yeah, that's so ballet. so removed from me. But so yeah. not musical theater. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we're going to stay still. behind the scenes. Um, so there I had another opportunity. So, oh, yes, this behind the scenes, creating the work that's outside of me. Yeah is really where I, I'm jazzed. Still, made my living as a performer, uh, got my equity card, flew up to Pittsburgh to... Um, What'd you, how'd you get your equity card? During my stay at Disney, in that first year, I flew up to um, Pittsburgh to mm-hmm. audition for Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera. Mm-hmm. And CLO. CLO. And there, if you're in the ensemble, I don't know if it's still true, you automatically become equity. Oh, wow. If you're a cast. Yeah, see, I don't know if that's still the case. I don't know if that's case, still true. But, but in that era... Uh, you, 
and like Rob Asher was my dance captain. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and so I got one show, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, playing yet again a cowboy. Like, of course. So much of my career has it's your been. your type. Yep. And got my equity card, went back to Florida, did an, a production of A Chorus Line, and then decided to move to New York. And started working. Got a show at Paper Mill. Uh, did some industrials with some high-end choreographers. Things like that. Wow. Um, and kept working and kept working. Then took a great class, similar to the one I was talking about earlier, where I learned about myself as uh, needing the skill of leadership to do what I wanted to do in the world as an artist, uh, which wasn't my natural way of being, my mm. shyness, all what I spoke about before. Uh, so I did this great class that helped me understand that and begin to build the muscles to be uh, to take charge, to be in leadership positions. Um, and from that experience, it directly led to being an assistant on the original Broadway production of the Will Rogers Follies. This is where your love affair with Follies. Began. Oh, that show! It's just I just did another one this year. And yeah, it's just, I know you love Follies. It's my that was my tenth uh, as a director choreographer. Wow! Yeah, it's a beautiful show. I, know, I love Follies. Well, this is the Will Rogers Follies. Well, yeah, not Follies. Will, yeah, Will Rogers. Will, Will, yeah, yeah. Um, I've never done the that Sondheim Follies. Follies. Yeah, gotcha. but the Will Rogers Follies is a beautiful show. And uh, again, the experience I just had this year at Pioneer Theater in Salt Lake City. Oh, just great. Yeah. Just great. Well, um, so I got to work with Tommy Toon and Jeff Calhoun and, uh, I mean, Comden and Green and Peter Stone wrote the book and Cy Coleman wrote the music. It was like Willa Kim did the costumes, all these greats of musical theater. Yeah. Um, and Jerry Mitchell was in the ensemble of the, uh, he was the original Naked Indian. We call him really? lovingly That's the funny. Naked Indian. Uh, yeah, so it's like, these were all the people that I was very privileged to be around to continue to learn. Yeah. Um, Especially that early on in your career. That early on. I then did the national tour of Will Rogers as the dance captain swing. Okay. Uh, Jeff Calhoun then uh, directed the Broadway revival of Grease. Okay. He asked me, and I'm grateful, he asked me to dance captain and swing the national tour of Greece that followed the Broadway company. Um, and then I kept performing. The last thing I did, I did Madison Square Garden's uh, Wizard of Oz. Wow. And it was about then. This was the late 90s. It was about then. I was like, okay. I, I was directing and choreographing at Summerstock in between these mm-hmm. things. And it was then that I said, okay, this should be the last as a performer. I began to not... Uh, it was great to make a living. I was yeah. grateful to make my living in musical theater. But I knew that it wasn't sort of like fulfilling me the way that direction and choreography and writing yeah. uh, does, uh, did and does. So that's that why I said, okay, I'm going to go cold turkey because I had this idea, whether it's true or not, that you know I wanted people to start seeing me as, as a, director, a director choreographer, not as a performer. And sometimes in our industry, not making it true across the board, but sometimes people prefer to have you in one box. Yeah. It, it And it... It's easier for them. Yep, it's easier I get for them. It. I and get the psychology. It's easier for them to um, find a place for you yeah. when you fit less. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I, I get I, that. I understand the psychology. It's you know, it's frustrating when you can do more than one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I understand the psychology of it. So I said, let me just not confuse people. Let me let them see me as a director choreographer, um, and let's go that down that road. Yeah, I think it. I think it's. Um, I don't know, it speaks to your foresight as as a younger gentleman to be able to step back from performing and be like, I have I feel that I have I feel fulfilled doing this. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have reached the pinnacle of I, I feel complete performing. Yes. You know? We're, we're very well put. I was complete. If I were to... People ask me all the time, do you want to perform again? I said, yes, if I don't have to audition. It's, it's always the answer. Yeah, I, I will perform again, but I my muscle of, perfor- of auditioning is gone. It doesn't exist. And I'm yeah. not about to, to exercise and to it's get a back whole, in shape. It's, it's, a it's completely a different. It's a, and it's a completely different skill set than completely performing. Completely different it's skill so set. so different. And mine is gone. Yeah. If mine is gone, I'd have to have one transplanted. <laughs> So it is gone, and that's okay. Uh, but if somebody said, you know, would you be in the show? I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Because I was, that's fun. Exactly. I was talking to someone. The um, I interviewed, who did I interview a couple of weeks ago? Jen Waldman, who runs a big acting yeah, studio. Sure. Yeah, Jen. And she was talking about how, because um, she, did, she did Wicked, she did Titanic, yeah. and she was talking about how 
some people are their best selves when they are on stage and they mm. need that mm -hmm. and they are the best version of themselves yeah. when they are performing mm -hmm. and she was like I loved performing and I reached my dream and I was on Broadway and it was everything I wanted it to be but she was like I found so much more joy doing something else and I I had the the foresight and the ability to understand that it's okay that dreams change and yes. uh, and they adjust mm -hmm. and um and it's okay to step back yes. and be like I I feel complete. Mm -hmm. And just because you achieve something doesn't mean you have to you have to stay there Correct. and accept that. Well, I, I like to look, there's a, a term that I refer to often, uh, there's the what's next conversation. Yeah. Because we, when we reach a goal, there's always going to be a what's next. Exactly. And that pulls you forward. Deepak, mm -hmm. Deepak Chopra said that uh, uh, our desire is a beautiful and, and essential part of being human because desire pulls us forward. It's nothing to deny or to suppress. It pulls you forward into the next moment. So that's what I think of when I think of what the what's next conversation. I love that. What's next? What's next? Exactly. Let it pull me forward into. Oh, I think that looks like fun. I think I'll have. I'll find fulfillment of some sort in that. And when I reach that, what's next? Exactly. You just say what's next. I it's love a what. Growth. It's a growth yeah, conversation. Yeah, just growth and the. That's that's such a smart way of putting it because the idea of like achieving your dreams in an abstract way can be somewhat limiting, you know? Sure. It's finite. Yeah, it's yeah, it's finite. finite. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, just the, everything is a step towards something else. Correct. And just because you don't know it, what it's a step towards, who knows? Well, that keeps it interesting, Exactly, it? you know? Yeah, there's a little bit of mystery. Exactly. So that's that's kind of where it is started. In 2000, I switched over and started doing direction choreography only. I started a writing company, a uh, writing group, I should say, mm -hmm. with two friends, two great friends, uh, Leslie Becker and VP Boyle. We set up a thing called the Musical Writers Playground. Our goal was, this was all prior to the New York Musical Theater Festival, our goal was to have a group of writers that were like us, still performing, still doing other things, that would meet on a weekly basis and share our material with one another and do sort of peer coaching, uh, as opposed to having it more uh, structured like uh, the BMI workshop. And there's no good, bad about either way, but the BMI workshop is a little more structured, like with a, a, an academic structure where there's a teacher that, and uh, students. Gotcha. And we were just... It's more people, people that, helping people. People helping people who all have the desire to work in, uh, write in the musical theater genre. And so we did that for five years. We uh, got a lot of notoriety in that era. We had pieces that we, we would do, um, once a year we would do 25-minute cuttings or excerpts of the pieces that were in progress. Uh, rather than do full length like New York Musical Theater Festival, mm -hmm. we would do one evening with 25-minute cuttings of the pieces from our group. Great. Yeah, so you would get a little, it's like a, it's like a Poo-poo platter. Yeah. Sampling. A, a, a sample sampling. plate. Yeah. Uh, NAMT, New York National Alliance of Musical Theater, sort of does that too. They do 45-minute okay. cuttings, I think. Gotcha. Um, but we were just doing this specifically to serve the writers. There came a point when, um, you know, we could either go bigger and start really producing mm -hmm. or a disband. We decided to disband okay. because my work as a director, Leslie's work as a, a, a writer and actress fabulous actress and VP's work elsewhere he taught the musical theater uh, forum which is a, a fantastic audition coaching workshop we just got busy with other things yeah. and we both we all three sort of had that thought well we don't want to spend our time as as administrators yeah. when we're so busy and engaged by these other things we're yeah, doing yeah and if you can't give it your full attention right. we, we started to be writers and we began to see oh we're being more administrators than writers yeah. that's I think that occurs whenever um, people put together some sort of uh, creative company, theatrical company yeah. specifically. There is going to be that aspect where you are the administrator. Yeah. You... For us, after five years, we're like, we either go bigger or we pursue our other interests. And yeah. we decided to and pursue just... our other interests. Yeah, and there's no shame in that. It's, no, no, no. Yeah, it's... We were proud. We're very, all three, yeah. very proud of you what just, we accomplished. You, you're like, this, we did this. Oh, it was a moment in it time. Was fantastic. And I met Michael Hunsaker. Oh, uh, great. Yes, yeah, he was one of our composers. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah I know he does that. Composer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, such exciting work he does. Um, yeah, we had some great people. Yeah. Many great people. Well, anyway, so that happens, uh, and I've just been directing and choreographing since writing a piece that came out of that uh, Musical Writers Playground. Um, it's possible that in the spring of not this coming year, but the following, the 2019, 
Um, is that right? No, 2000. Yeah, 2019. We're expecting to do a concert tour of a musical that I've written. Um, yeah, I love why it. Not? Why not? You know? Uh, why not? Still, still happening. It's... Yeah, it's still happening. The legacy lives on. Uh, yes, it legacy does. Legacy lives on. But uh, so that catches you up, especially yeah. with me as a career person. I want to talk to you. I want to get in depth with you just on directing. Okay. Because I, um, it's something that I am so removed from i've never mm. really seen myself as like a director okay i mean i mean i think actors develop that sense and it, like they learn how to like direct themselves sure, and they're right, like right. in their heads they're like this is mm-hmm. how i see stuff but um i've never like seriously pursued it right so there's a lot of what you do that i'm unsure of how it happens you know because oh, yeah. it's it's i mean it's i mean you are the um the guiding light Mm-hmm. In a in a production, and I mean, I have some people who listen to this podcast who aren't in the theater exactly, sure. but I mean, your your job is to, I mean, you're the glue that holds it together. You're the unifying factor between all the different production mm-hmm. and the actors and the the set. I mean, it all basically comes through you. Yeah, you are the approval process yeah, almost. The, the highfalutin term is uh, the, the director creates the vision. Yes, that's the highfalutin term. Exactly, everyone works to meet your vision to fulfill the vision. Yeah. Exactly, and it um, it comes down to you. So, when you're directing, how do you handle? Um, because I mean, I DJ and I know each other. I um, I met DJ doing a production of uh, Les Misérables. Les Misérables. Um, in Orlando. And um, that was actually like my first, um, I mean, I had done summer stock in college mm-hmm. and I had done that whole thing, but Les Mis was my first, um, I would say, like large scale, like regional, it was like a big production. But she's an epic. Yeah, it's an epic and it was at, it was at a, a, a very well-respected yes. regional house. Yes. Um, not that the summer stocks that I worked with before weren't well-respected houses, but it, it's different, yeah, you know? It's different. We it's different. Yeah, yeah sure. it's, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different beast. Mm-hmm. I just, the whole time, I just remember being amazed by it. Just like the, the process and all the moving pieces. So and it was like, I was fresh out. Of, it was my first summer out of college. I was working with people that had been on Broadway. I was just like, I was just like amazed, you and know? And you were wonderful. Oh, in thank show. you. Thank just you. I just, it. you know, it's just, I, I do this podcast so people compliment me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, it's working. Oh, thank you. But so like what I saw, everything I saw was just brilliant and amazing. And it, I, I loved everything. But as the director, how do you handle something not working? Hmm. Because like I didn't see that, but I'm sure, I mean, you've done so much and you've worked mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. How do you handle those kind of bumps in the road and where you're, where you're, you're directing and you realize something about this vision isn't working for you. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, the vision can shift. I will say that mm-hmm. first. Uh, um, but what can happen, if I'm sort of hearing your question, um, what can happen is that there may be some element that doesn't seem to fall into the vision. What do, mm-hmm. what do I, as a director, do about that? Yes. Well, it comes back to some form of communication with whomever or, or whatever um, department is not fulfilling that part of the vision as I see it. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, as a director, we get to choose the vision. It's not like it's the truth about a show. Yeah. It, it's... Every production, even productions of the Will Rogers Follies that, have, that I've done, and I've done 10, have had variations on the vision mm-hmm. because of the elements that I know are uh, possible based upon the theater, the venue, yeah. the, the actors that come, all exactly. of it. It so adjusts. it does. It does adjust, uh, which is why doing a show again and again is actually quite fun. Yeah, because you get to have fun with making it different, yeah. shifting every every cast and every mm. space brings so a different fun. energy. Yeah, so much fun. Uh, but back to your question about well, when things don't fall into the vision, you have to look at how to address it, um, how to be with the people that are responsible for fulfilling that aspect of the vision in a way that has them get it better. Mm-hmm. Have them come back to the vision, and uh, it can be very challenging. Um, an experience I had recently: I had a whole concept of a show that had to do with projections. Okay. And then I sat at a coffee bar with the uh, set designer, and I laid out my vision of what how I saw the piece playing out through a lar- a, an extensive use of projections. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew there were limitations at the theater. You, you go in knowing that. 
but I even knowing the limitation with their projection capability, I was like, I, I think this can still work. I think this can still work. So let me present it. So after I presented my long spiel about a, a, a long sequence at the beginning of the show, the set designer just said, what do you need me for? And I was taken aback because, of course, in my mind, it was like, well, of course, the projections had to land on something. Yeah. And that is designed. So it shocked me. It shocked me. And, and it, I think I learned in that moment, oh, maybe it has less to do even with this particular piece and with this designer's history and with what they like to do. Mm -hmm. So all to say, we figured it out and it worked brilliantly. We figured it all out. But all to say, there are personalities, there are fellow artists who have their own desires and wants and needs. So the game of being a, a director is chiefly, and I will say this without equivocation, it's chiefly being a psychologist. Yeah. And learning, or I should say, learning how to speak to individual artists so that they get on board with the vision. And it means you have to tailor it to those specific people yeah which can have very different uh, ability to receive information yeah. uh, or to, to parse information or to process uh, information. So you keep saying it until you figure out how to talk to that person. Mm -hmm. You have to guide 30 different people yeah. or more to the same Correct. ending point, yeah. but everybody hears it differently. Yeah. You know? And it's back to that. That is back to what we were talking about a little bit with that class I did so many years ago. It is leadership. That is called leadership of learning how to language things so that it's gotten because each individual is going to have their own filters and you work hard i work hard to try to language things so that people get it it's not it doesn't always work and then what do you do you try again so it, it's a constant ongoing part of the journey is yeah. to keep speaking until they get it so it takes patience yeah it takes patience. And I know some directors are not known for being patient. I'm, I, I will pat myself on the back and say I'm known for being... I'll vouch for <laughs> I'm, I'll I'm vouch known for, for being it. patient because I really understand that. That it takes what it takes. Yeah. And I don't need to blow up at someone because they're not understanding me. That falls back on me. Exactly. And, and it doesn't help, help anyone. It doesn't you know? help. It just is unpleasant. It falls back on me to communicate better so that they get it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that tensions don't rise. It doesn't of mean course. that I don't get angry. Of course. We're humans. Yeah. And and the the good news is when passions rise, it's it's actually really good news because it means we care. Exactly. It means I we love care. that. We yeah. care to make it the as good as it can be through us as the channel of, of the artistic spark. I love that. You know, it's so I don't mind when passions rise. It's not always comfortable. No. But it, but it means you. It means people care. People care. You know. Yeah. Rather that than everyone just go. Eh. Exactly. Empathy is the enemy of creativity. Yeah. And, and success on in theatrical presentation. So, that's what leadership is all about. Ugh. Being able to continue to hone how you say something so that someone gets it. I want to talk to you because you said that you had this whole idea about the projections and stuff. Mm. And this is something I really don't understand. Mm. And I guess it probably applied more to you early on in your career because I imagine you have to do less intense, le you have to do it less intensely now. But if I wanted to direct somewhere, mm -hmm. how, how did you go about, ah. a, like, what do you submit? What, what oh, how does, how, do, how do you be like, I, I should be the person who guides this production? It is the million dollar question. You know? There is no answer to that wow. question. Um, I don't think any single person uh, that does what I do as a director mm -hmm. uh, and or director choreographer can say, here are the steps you take. Yeah. Because all of us have had a varied and checkered stepping stone path to do what we do. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, and it continues. Just this yeah. week, I asked a friend who is a Broadway director uh, to share her CV. You know, curriculum vita, is mm -hmm. that what it's called? Well, I think. I mean, yeah. come on. I've never, we've, that's never ever been something I needed in my career. Uh, for whatever reason, I've been doing this for a while. Um, I'm used to a resume where I have the show the, I did. These the, are the shows I've the, done. The venue, the producer for whom I did that show. And some references, but a, a CV. 
which is a little more of a prose yeah. sort of thing. I it's guess. usually used more in like academia, know, academics, right, and right. even teaching. Exactly. Yeah. So my agent asked me for a CV so that she could make an introduction to an artistic director of a prominent theater here in the States um, so that she could try to get me an interview. I've never done that before, but let's do that. Yeah. So th- that's kind of the, the thing to say is like it continues to evolve. I, I don't know how. I wish I could say this yeah. is how you become a director. You try to put yourself in positions or places where you can say to somebody, I'm available. I'd like to do your show. Uh, I'm happy to say that um, I have theaters with whom I have relationships over the course of years. So they will ask me back because they already know what they're getting. Exactly. Uh I imagine once you get your foot in the door, it's easier. It can it's, be, if they like you. Well, yeah, <laughs> if, they, if they like what you made. Yeah, if they, exactly. If they like what you produce. Well, and that's also an interesting thing. You also discover in this crazy world of theater, uh, sometimes it's not whether they like you or your process, but whether their product was appreciated by an audience. And that's yeah, unfortunate, and how, right? Yeah, and because, how it was received and how it's sold. That's and, right, exactly. Which oftentimes doesn't have anything to do with it, you. Hello? Like, yeah. if you're, like, I mean, you could put on a beautiful production of show ABC, yep. but if nobody wants to buy tickets for it because nobody likes show ABC, exactly. that's not your fault, even exactly. if the production's beautiful. Or if it's a title that is a seller, you know, all exactly. of it. And then you do a show, like, I'm doing another, uh, just like say names because it's a popular show. I'm doing another million dollar quartet oh for the same theater I did it for last year. They're repeating it Be- because it was such a big seller. Million dollar quartet just prints it's, money it's from whoever would ever And then Buddy, the Buddy Holly story, I did yep. it three times for the same producer in the space of a year and a half. The same producer in this because it's printing money. Yeah. And those shows are so hot right now. They're and they're hot. and I feel like they're 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 cheap to produce. They're not expensive comparatively. Exactly. Yeah, comparatively. And, and they small bring in casts. an audience that yeah. no, doesn't typically necessarily go to, go to the theater. musical theater. Yep. So and it kind of this is terrible. I feel like I do a very good million dollar quartet. I feel like I do a very, very good Buddy Holly story. It kinda of doesn't matter. I'm invited back to do those shows for those theaters because they're going to make money. Yeah. I get it. Great. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can do a beautiful production of a fantastically Sunday written show that or... doesn't sell so easily. Yeah. And then they go, meh. And it's it not, I'm, I, I shouldn't say that so uh, cavalierly. It's not that the artistic director goes, meh. But if there's not something of a show for me as a director that has them go, we really get why it was success for us for my theater yeah they don't necessarily they think to bring you the back yep. they are a business yeah they don't necessarily think to bring you back now an artistic director that has been a director or just gets it can see beyond that mm-hmm. but there's also a board i mean it's yep, just a, exactly it's, oh, there's a business there's always, it's a business everyone's always trying to um appease somebody yes, and even the artistic director right. is trying to appease somebody yeah, and yeah. And then, well, so, so I wish I had the, here are the steps. Yeah. It's chiefly about just trying your best to put yourself out there. Uh, look for the opportunities. Uh, keep your nose clean, as they say, when you do do work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that people, regardless of the show, yeah. uh, in terms of its sales, that you've done good work. They've appreciated your process so that they like your energy around their organization. And that's part of it too, because in organization, I walk into organizations all the time where I don't know what the zeitgeist will be of that. I don't know what the culture will be mm-hmm. of that, that company. And you learn, and sometimes you step on toes. Yeah. I have stepped on toes. And it's it's uncomfortable, but it's like, I didn't know, I didn't know. So, you know yeah. But that doesn't help. You yeah, got, I, I mean, you're, you're a one-man business. you got to kind of be your own PR firm too. Well, yeah, when I go in and I, I step on toes because I don't get the culture, Yeah. Uh, you know, it just takes cleanup. Yeah, I will, but I'm willing. Someone to gets offended that you went nice. over their head on something oh. and you didn't even realize you were doing it. Oh yeah, yeah. We have a, off the record, you and I will talk. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we have lots to say. But it's it's just part of it. So you keep your nose clean. You do, you do your best work. You try to get uh, people in the know that you are available and interested. Mm-hmm. And um, I have an agent, but my agent, she's great. Susan German's great. She negotiates my contracts. On the whole, she might be able to get me an interview, but she doesn't get me the jobs, get the essentially. Jobs. It's a it's very different, really, yeah. from an actor's agent. Um, and I really appreciate all that she does for me. Uh, she also represents a piece that I've written. So she's both a literary agent and an agent to me as director choreographer. So it's great. Yeah. I still get the jobs. Of course. Director, it's just so, I gotta go out there. It's just so different than like what an actor's That's journey right. is. Because, yeah. I mean, my, I know that 
I get work by walking into a room, mm-hmm. performing, and mm-hmm. then someone gives me the job. Correct. Um, it's just so much more abstract. It's it's more abstract. Someone has to take a chance on you. Sure. You, you I mean, you can yeah. pull out. I mean, it, I mean, it's like, what do you do? Show photos of what you've done? It's like that doesn't. No, I mean, it's like know, it's so com- it's so long, complex. It's complex. We go down a long path of like until recently, a director and a choreographer were not permitted to have a record of their work on video. Now the the restrictions are they're tall orders to you're only allowed to uh, videotape the last rehearsal in a performance space before you go into a theater so it's without any of the technical elements and as you may guess yeah. in, a, in a studio space how far away can a video camera be oh, to yeah. be able to capture the entirety of a stage and with exactly. choreography, especially like, big musicals and yeah, yeah. How you can't get away from the choreography to be yeah. able to record your work as a choreographer yeah so I'm glad that it exists that now there is that opening yeah but that is a reason why we and don't I, have better record of course of work. and it's a complex issue because you have like multiple unions at um, play and you are trying people have to protect the actors rights and i mean right. so i mean it's complex it's but it's also complex. like it's frustrating it's i i, I, I get that yeah, frustration yeah. it's frustrating because it would just be nice for me to, to have it for example if i'm doing another production of the will rogers follies i have my choreography it changes i change every time i do it because yeah. that's fun but i would like to know what i did the last time exactly. or, or four times ago to do a variation on rather than yeah. having to like look at notes and try to exactly. figure out what the notes mean and start from scratch just see and, a, yeah. seeing a video you know ballet yes. world does it all the time in the ballet world they have a record of every piece of choreography that their repertoire of course you know, and of course they do exactly because dance is visual and mm-hmm. to try to record and her pinky is up here and her eyes shift to the left on this count well <laughs> Seeing it is a lot easier it's than recording easier. it. It's quicker, it's words. easier. Yeah. So, anyway, that's the, the whole thing about videotaping that is, is frustrating, but mm, that's not a tool that we're easily able to access or use to get jobs for yeah. ourselves. Oh, my goodness. Um, but you, it's recommendation, word of mouth. Uh, those are really the primary. Mm-hmm. Having another artistic director say to an artistic director, this person did great work for my theater. That's yeah. that's it's, very helpful. I mean, it all comes down to networking at the end of the networking. day. It always comes yeah. down to networking and who yeah. you know and just yeah. getting your name out there. And sure. And, you know, I'm, I can if I may share one of my frustrations. Mm-hmm. Please. One of my frustrations is that um, I've done, I think, over 70 productions uh, since whenever, <laughs> whenever mm. I started, well over 70 productions. That's a lot of productions. Yeah, working. And uh, yet, because I don't have the imprimatur of uh, having done a Broadway show as a director or choreographer, mm-hmm. then I don't, There, there's a certain sort of ceiling, we can call it a glass ceiling or whatever you want to call it, um, with certain theater companies around the country where they go like, mm, you haven't done a Broadway show, so mm, we're not going to use you. It doesn't matter that my reputation is good. It doesn't matter that other artistic directors will say he's completely capable. It matters that you have that stamp of you worked I, in the geography of Manhattan. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and yeah. I mean, and I'm sure you know the the same thing applies to actors. Yeah. But it yeah. It's, it does. Oh, I know some actors uh, that worked where we worked in Florida. Uh, the the king of the regional theater. Yeah. Uh, and yet, I mean, genius. And I, I will work with him again in a second. I'm working with him in the spring. It hasn't had a Broadway show. Yeah. But he's fantastic exactly. and works I, nonstop. Yep. Yeah. And I know who you're talking about. I know and, you do. Um, it's, yeah, it's so limiting. And it, it's crazy to see how, um, just a little tangent, it's crazy to see how the business of theater is shifting mm-hmm. as, we, is. as we go into this, like, um, just as theater gets smaller and there's mm-hmm. less money involved mm-hmm. and it's it's funny to see how even to work at some regional houses now you have to have been on Broadway. Absolutely. And that's what I'm facing as a director yeah. as well. It's like the yeah. the people that that used to be stars on Broadway are now in the ensemble on Broadway yeah. because now movie stars are the leads that's on Broadway. Right. And so everyone's shifted down a peg. Yeah. And so So interesting. You got to book a Broadway show before you can work at podunk community players and yeah. city abc you know yeah. isn't it interesting i would just say you may or may not know this but when i did les mis it, uh, we did local auditions i think we had five people at local auditions in orlando with broadway credits really because they're now they sort of gave up on the the, the whole michigas that can be new york city life yeah they'd done their broadway show and they moved to orlando and they work for disney or elsewhere 
and have consistent work. I'm, Isn't that interesting? I, I, that's so funny. I've talked to my fiance about that, and I'm like, you know, I think if like after I'm done with New York, and like if I if I've opened my Broadway show, you could like go down there, you could start a family. That's right. You could like live your, you could have a like, consistent house. paycheck. <laughs> yeah, you could have a house. I wouldn't have to live in a one bedroom right? apartment. Like I. The older you get, the you just start to realize quality of life. Yeah, quality yeah, of life. It matters, and because this is it. That's crazy. Five people auditioned five. for that show. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I remember it was like no, five. but well, that They're makes cranks. sense. They're, but they kept coming in, and some of them weren't right for our show, and some of them weren't available for our show. But they came into audition anyway to be seen by the artistic director. Of course. Uh, but I'm like, that's impressive in us in what had been not the, one of the major players in theater. Mm-hmm. You know, Chicago, L.A., New York. Yeah, it's not one of the big three. Right. Yeah. Uh, Orlando. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, there's so many performers down there. You're right. I didn't think about the fact that it's it's also a great place for performers to go for a better quality of life. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, exactly. Hi, winter. Yeah, my God. (laughs) Winter in Florida is pretty delicious. Oh, my God. We were talking the other day. We rescheduled this. I just auditioned for a a theater in Florida, and it would be for over the winter. And... um, I don't think they're going to call me, but I was the whole time I was just like, oh my God, if I got this, I would get that. Oh my God, I would just be able to be in the sun in February. Oh, I would kill for it. Yeah, baby. Oh, yum, yum, yum. What? I think I might actually be quoting you when I say this. I can't remember if I read it from you or if I read it from another director friend. It might have been from you, but I'm interested in, as a director and as a performer growing up, I, because I, I, feel like I still feel this way a lot when I'm in productions mm-hmm. that there is a there is a barrier between me and the director and it's a, oh, it's a separate it, yeah it's a yeah. separate entity mm-hmm. and it's someone who has more authority than me as a performer and um which is true in a sense but I I still catch myself oftentimes seeing the director as like an infallible mm. knows everything like, I mean, it was the case with Les Mis, you know? Mm. I was brand new, and I was, like, so amazed by everything. I was like, when did you, when did you as a performer and as, or as a director, realize that at the end of the day, we're all just 30 to 50 people doing a production just in different roles, yeah. you know? Collaborating. Yeah. Because I, I think oftentimes there's this idea that you are the... I, I, in a sense, you are the leader. I mean, you are the guiding yes, sure. light. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're a person just like everybody else, I you know? Mean, and everybody yeah. has an opinion, and it's it, it's a complicated issue. And I think there's a, there's a lot of freedom as a performer, and I imagine as a director, in realizing you don't have to be perfect all the time. You don't have to always have always have the answer mm-hmm. um when did you realize that in your development uh golly when did i i i suppose it was very beneficial working with jeff calhoun and tommy tune on the original will rogers to see them question themselves not in a, a fearful way mm-hmm. but to question what they were doing and just keep examining what is this right does this work to keep examining so that really taught me um even though i continued performing after that that they're just figuring it out too. Yeah, they're figuring it out, and uh, that's the fun uh, as a director and choreographer is is to figure it out, not have to have it be presented as if it's this is it, this is done. Um, and letting uh, I just worked with Lauren Latero on a piece, and she is the choreographer of Waitress, and I loved the way we did pre-production with some dancers, and she invited them to just throw in ideas. And what you learn then through that kind of experience is like, our job is to be the arbiter of what stays as a director and or choreographer. To, we, uh, we choose what stays, but everybody's idea is being put on yeah, the table for the benefit. It doesn't have to benefit. come just from... That's yeah. right. Oh, I love that. Everybody's there to, the to contribute toward the benefit of the piece. And if you receive it as such, you can say, that's a, thanks, great idea, thanks. You don't have to use the idea. And it's no challenge to me yeah. that somebody has an idea. It's wonderful. Exactly. Great, bring your ideas. So I, I learned that really there in Will Rogers Follies and have carried it through. I've worked with directors as a performer that don't have that mm-hmm. idea. And I can tell you, I don't enjoy those experiences. When I was a performer, yeah. I did not enjoy those experiences where my ideas were um, diminished. Considered less than. Diminished or even cons- clearly in some instances 
were considered threatening. And I thought, that's just such an odd psychology for me to even wrap my mind around. Why would my idea as a performer to you as a director threaten? Uh, and again, who knows, my, if I were to make up a reason, I think it's just ego. Yeah. And the, the thought that somebody else's idea uh, may rob you of some standing, some uh, feeling that you're the, the most powerful one in the room. Yeah. Where it's, again, back to leadership. A leader wants the best ideas. Mm-hmm. Wants the best ideas. Um, because that will lift everyone up. Exactly. Everyone gets lifted up. So that I, somewhere early... I would say I, I learned that you know you take the ideas that come that are the best ideas for the betterment of the piece, not the ones that are going to stroke your ego, yeah, or tr- or seem to threaten your ego. So, and it seems it seems good that you seem to discover that early because it mm-hmm. it seems to have infused how you have developed as a director. If you if you has, keep yeah. that in your work, yeah, that idea of has. everybody's oh, opinion I matters. Love... You're the arbiter of what stays. Yeah. I, I, I've never heard it said like that, yeah. and I love that. Yeah. I love collaboration. Yeah. I love the th- That's what we're all theater, doing. Musical theater is the most collaborative art form, bar none. Yeah. There's no I, other I, art I form that takes as many people as it takes to make it work. And how, what a wonderful, joyous experience it is to work with fellow artists all contributing their best ideas. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. I have two more questions okay. for you. Um, one's kind of fun um if you weren't performing i you might have answered this earlier but let's see if the answer is still the same <laughs> if you weren't if you weren't performing if you weren't directing if you weren't writing if you weren't choreographing <laughs> choreographing choreographing is what i almost said what would you be doing would i be a monkey doctor would you be a monkey uh, doctor i you know at this point i think golly i think i would probably still want to be i love my animals but I would want to be with human beings, and uh, certainly this is I say all the time. If I were wealthy beyond imagination, I would just be a philanthropist. Oh my God, that's the dream. Isn't I would the dream? love to be a philanthropist. To be Bill Gates? Come on. I feel like I was meant to be a philanthropist. To be Bill Gates? I know. That would be a dream. <sighs> but I was uh, meant to be it. Yes. Yeah, just to be able to, uh, it's like they the say in Hello, in Hello Dolly, what is it? Money is like manure. Uh, you want to spread it around, encouraging young things yes, to grow. Exactly. It, wouldn't that be a fantastic oh, life? so nice. So there's that. Um, if it were more specific as a career, mm-hmm. uh, it would be similar. It would be life coaching in some oh, yeah. aspect of like helping And I feel like that's get... that's in a separate lane, but similar to what we do. Yeah. You know? Because, yeah. I mean, what, the stories we tell are basically yeah. life coaching. Yeah, you know? helping people realize their dreams. Yeah. You know, to the best of our ability to support them in moving forward in their life. That's a great life. Have you ever felt on this journey about kind of throwing in the towel on this? Do you ever? Never. You've no. just known like this. I have been frustrated. I have been poor. Mm-hmm. I have been cash poor, I should say. Um, I've been frustrated about the politics of the biz. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that will ever stop that, that occasional frustration. Yeah. <coughs> but no, I, no, this is what I, I do. Love, yeah. This is what I, um, sort of back to what we were talking about before, like what has meaning. I believe that we, meaning is assigned. I mm-hmm. get to assign meaning. I have assigned the truth as this career choice is what I'm here to do. This is why I'm on the earth. There's a lot of... Um, I, oh, my goodness. That is so sweet, DJ. Yeah. It's storytelling. However, that I get to do it through um, theater is why I'm here. That is so powerful. You're going to make me cry. It's okay. It's just, <laughs> and it, it's just... I'm a crier. I wish... I mean, there's just such... There's such a freedom in... Like how quickly you answered that and just going, no, I, I, and I think it's the way a lot of performers who do this feel yeah. and uh, directors and writers it's a gift. and we're living in, we're living in the greatest city in yeah. the world, yeah. but we're also living in the toughest city in the Ooh, world. baby! And there are days here where it is hard oh, yeah. to be doing what we're you doing feel beaten up. and yeah. just to have that unrelenting, no, this is what I need yeah. to be doing. And I, I live to be telling these stories and I just know the feeling I get when I watch good theater is oh, what I want to give to other people you know Amen. and because it is a service to them yeah it is a service that it's I a some, service. sometimes even people don't even know they're receiving as they're receiving it absolutely we transform lives yeah Whether we really do even it's... consciously get it or not that's what happens people can be transformed by the power of theater and it's a great gift it really it really is I want to you know what I want to end on that note um, 
I just loved that so much. <laughs> and um, DJ, thank you so much for oh, talking Michael's to me. Oh, my privilege. It's an and, honor um, and a privilege. It's been a pleasure, and um, I can't wait to see you again. And this has just been lovely, and um, I just wish I lived in this beautiful building <laughs> we're in right now. But um, It's fancy. Oh, it is fancy. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Michael.